Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is now day 46, ladies and gentlemen, since we first heard of a deadly virus that was killing people in Wuhan, China. And today we are talking about entire households self-isolating to avoid contracting coronavirus. Shops are running out of disinfectant hand gels, apparently. And in the more extreme sections of the media, people are warning of food riots in the streets. I don't think that's going to happen, do you? Let's all take a deep breath, shall we? Let's all keep a sense of perspective and let's all start talking about the real issues which actually actually affects everyone in this country. Of course, um, it's very sad that one person has now uh, succumbed to the disease and died in this country. But as uh, the health chiefs are saying, uh, the person was elderly and suffering from some other health concerns. And so that person is described as dying with coronavirus rather than dying from it. Coming up this morning, instead, we're kicking off the show with this question. What is your MP doing for you? How has your MP helped you? And is your MP worthy of an inflation-busting 3.1% pay rise to £81,932 per year? Thanks to the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority, the MPs can now claim that they haven't just awarded themselves the money, but it seems a little unwise to give them a bigger pay rise than their staff got recently. And the timing couldn't be worse, really, could it? We'll be asking former Tory MP Jerry Hayes what he makes of it all, because in his day, uh, people didn't make as much money as that being MPs because they were expected to make other sorts of of money elsewhere. 03444991000. That's the question. What has your MP done for you lately? Coming up later on, I'll be asking why Jolien Maugham isn't being prosecuted for beating a fox to death with a baseball bat uh, because apparently it was not cruel for the fox. Really? Interesting word line from the RSPCA. Are you sure it's not because he's a serious barrister uh, and you are all in it together in the CPS? Is that maybe why it is? Why Amber Rudd has been no platform by Cambridge University for International Women's Day uh, is anybody's guess. We'll be finding out why that happened. And because it's Friday, it is, of course, time for another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards. 0344 499 1000. It's an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting this week uh, and I'm hoping to win most of the awards as I normally do. Uh, don't forget, you can now watch us on YouTube. We are live streaming there as well as on Facebook and on Twitter. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.
Now, there are many reasons to rejoice uh, this morning. One, the rain seems to have finally stopped. It was so horrible yesterday in London. I don't know what it was like where you were, but there was flooding going on in parts of the country. Rivers were bursting their banks. Trains were being stopped because the track was flooded. It was absolutely awful. But today, it does seem to have recovered, and it's rather nice. Now, uh, some people will tell you that coronavirus doesn't like hot weather. Uh, they're wrong. Some people will tell you that coronavirus doesn't like cold weather. They're also wrong. Coronavirus is here to stay for quite some time. We'll be talking about it later on in this hour. But First up, let's talk about the MPs and the pay rise that they've just awarded themselves. Because make no mistake, it's got nothing to do with the Parliamentary Standards Authority. The MPs have made it possible for them to give them a pay rise so that they can't get blamed for paying themselves. Basically, it's the same thing. But they're busting inflation uh, by 0.2 of a percentage. And we're going to talk to Jerry Hayes now, former uh, Tory MP and barrister, of course, to find out whether he uh, is not as outraged, perhaps, as I am, but is wondering why. Suddenly, um, he's feeling a bit like one of those footballers from the 70s who wasn't making 81,932 quid for being an MP. Jerry, very good morning to you. Good morning to you. Yes, it's it's a bit weird. I think it's nearly eighty two thousand now, isn't it? It really is, yeah. And Quite plus plus the decent decent expenses. I mean that takes you well over a hundred thousand for most people, even if they're just claiming a little bit of travel here and there. Well, yeah, I think they're entitled to do that. In my day, um, we didn't really have too many allowances. I had to buy my own typewriter when I was elected. Did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I was elected eighty three, bought my own typewriter, I got a travel warrant, uh, but at election time, you only got a one-way ticket. You weren't allowed to come back. Right. Re-elected. So I think we've gone a long way in the right direction that Parliament shouldn't have the indignity of voting for the money themselves. So you've got an independent body. However... Well, it's a bit like a firewall, isn't it? It's not... I mean, everybody well, really yeah. knows that it's not... It's not. Re I mean, you know, they, they give the, the MPs a pay rise because the MPs ask for it. But it's interesting, if you just put this in perspective, since 2010, teachers had a pay cut by 10%. Yeah. Nurses had a pay cut by 12%. Mm. Police had a pay cut by 14.6%. And firefighters had a cut by 10%. What about MPs? What cut do they get, you reckon, Mike? Uh, I would say they went in the opposite direction. They had an increase of 20%. Really? Yeah. See, that's the interesting thing. Yeah. Because I wasn't joking when I said, you know, there are those... I mean, Alan Brazil often says this, that, you know, he slightly regrets playing football in the decade that he did. Well, because now people are getting paid 300000 a week on a regular basis. But well, that's just the way it goes. But the interesting thing is, now, if you're going to pay MPs above the rate of inflation, what about staffers? Mm. Staffers only got 2%, you know? Right. And, uh, that, and I, that is entirely wrong, in my view. It is entirely wrong. It just looks so bad. Now, I know this is the annual sort of MP baiting sport. How much is an MP worth? Well, we don't know. It's whatever. What do you mean it's an annual sport? Are you suggesting that I've trotted out some hoary old reason to get people <laughs> yeah, to ring into a radio station? That's a disgrace, <laughs> Mr Hayes. <laughs> yeah, but everyone else is doing it, so why not? And no, they won't be doing it the way we're doing it. There'll be lots of outrage calls saying it's an absolute disgrace, but they do get a very generous pension. They do. And yeah. they also get a redundancy payment. And they, they also, if I'm not mistaken, get a redundancy payment, which is quite handsome, uh, when they uh, lose their seat. Yeah, I think that's fair enough because there's nothing so ex as an XMP. And I was lucky I could do other things. There's a lot of people who can't. And I think it's about, I think it's about £30,000. But most people don't get that. But I think the staffers, now that is bad. Mm. I think 
think there's a, there's, there is a way around all this. Now you've hit over the £80,000, which puts them in the top 2% of yes. earners in the country. Why not just say, we, we won't have a, an independent review body. What we'll do, we'll give them the percentage increase that all public sector workers get. Yeah. And that's fair. And that looks right. Whether they'll do it or not is another matter. But this is the point. You know, why, for example, does the Parliamentary Standards Authority think it's necessary to give them 3.1% when 2.9% would have been inflation and it would have been fairer uh, and it would have been much more defensible? Why do they push themselves out there for well, an extra 0.2 of a percentage point? Well, actually, it's worse than that because I looked it up this morning. Inflation is 1.8%. Oh, it's 1.8, not 1.9. Yeah. Okay. yeah, so it's really quite an inflation bust. That's why staff has got slightly above inflation of, 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 of 2%. Of 2%, They percent, don't yeah. get pensions. Mm. Uh, and some of them don't have contracts either. Right. It's a very, very unfair system, and someone's going to have to take it in hand. Whether well, Parliament's got the courage to do it, but now you've hit the eighty percent, which is a lot of money by anybody's. It hand. is a lot of money, and it's also rather bad timing, given we've only just really entered a new Parliament. We've got five years of Boris Johnson to go uh, with his eighty-seat majority. There's an awful lot of MPs who are in there for the first time, and I've met quite a few of them, and I'm quite encouraged to see that a lot of them are, are sort of young Tories who have got some quite good conservative ideas about how the country should be run. Yeah. But they've suddenly leapt into a job which has been very well paid indeed. Well, some of them can't believe their luck. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe my bad luck when I was elected in 1983. I wasn't expecting to be elected. I was gracing £25,000 a year as a barrister. Yeah. Somehow I discovered my salary was 12,000 quid. <laughs> which was, I thought, what have I done? Yeah, but back in those days, did you not have the kind of luxury of then being expected to earn money outside in addition? I tried it, but it didn't work. Mm. Because you can't do a barrister's job well, an MP's job well. You really can't. Right. You, you, you're letting someone down some of the time. And as you're elected public figure, you know, you shouldn't let the people down. So no. If I, I mean, is, is it fair to say that it, is, that it is a much busier job than most people imagine it to be? Because, for example, today uh, there will be very few uh, parliamentarians in Parliament, but they will all be working in their constituencies by and yeah. large. Yeah, and whatever you think of politicians, the public don't think an awful lot of them for all sorts of very obvious reasons. I think most people say they do work, work hard on behalf of their constituents, whatever party um, they, they, they represent. But this just looks so bad. Mm. And uh, that's, that's the problem. Until next year. Because actually, my, my, this is not, a, a, as you described it earlier, a sort of an MP-baiting radio show. What I'm asking people to do is to call me and say... What has your MP done for you lately? And we were already getting calls from people, because I could see them lining up in front of yeah. me, from people who say, actually, my MP helped me stay in my house. Yeah. Or actually, my MP yeah. helped me do this and that. So yeah. we will be looking at what MPs do to see which ones are good, because no doubt, there are some very good MPs, but there are also some bloody useless ones. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and there are someone, some who just don't tell the truth. Yeah. And you see them coming up. Oh, you see, this is the difficulty with, 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 with this government. Boris comes out with, with a line in the newspaper or Cummings does in the newspaper. And all ministers are asked questions on shows like yours. What do you think of this? Yeah. They don't know whether it's government policy or not, but they're hardly going to slag it off. Otherwise, they upset number 10. Mm. That's the trouble about dropping all sorts of little um, or flying kites in, in, in newspapers, which they do. And it just looks appalling. Yes, well, I mean, we're, we're being told more and more by those who are not in government that we have a very authoritarian government, a government yeah. which picks and chooses which uh, television programmes it does and which, well, um, you know, which newspapers it talks to. But, you know, that's what a strong government, I suppose, is able to do. If there was halfway decent opposition, that might not be the case, but the opposition is so useless that well, they can pretty much do what they want. 
that might change in, in, in April. I very much doubt who it. The new, well, yeah, because, because we need scrutiny. And at the end of the day, politicians should be scrutinised by people like you, should be scrutinised by Channel 4 and the Today programme. And the really worrying thing, I don't know whether you've done it on your show yet, is the thought that because of the coronavirus, Parliament's going to be yes. shut for six months. Whoa, no way. At a time of national crisis, you do not shut down Parliament. Well, I'm afraid you may find that you're overruled on that one, Jerry, because uh, we did talk about it the other day. In fact, I predicted oh. it last week uh, ah. because I said the next thing that will happen is they will shut it down. But of course, again, the enemies of democracy, uh, who are the people that tried to stop uh, the, the government from leaving the European Union, as the British people had asked them to do, are now terribly upset that they won't be able to have a say in what the government does because they won't be sitting in Parliament. You know, they kind of it both ways, can they? Uh, well, you can, really. Uh, well, you would say that, being a barrister. Yeah, but I'm you afraid, can have it both I'm ways. afraid the, the, the law is the law, and they, they can make the laws from out, somewhere outside without having to travel all the way into Parliament every day. If you can't ride two horses at once, you shouldn't be in the circus. Well, listen, I'm not in the circus. That's your, that's your area. But no! Let me ask, let me ask I'm you... your radio presenter. <laughs> let, ah. me, let me ask you this. Um, as a, as a, a former Tory MP, yeah. I mean, what about the way the Tory party is currently going? Because it seems to be a much happier place than it's been for a very long time. Well, it couldn't be more miserable than it was last time. Uh, the whips are a lot happier. Yeah. It seems going to, there seems to going to be a, a rebellion on that chart. I can't pronounce it. Is it why ho we way I way way hey? I don't know. Well, hey, yeah, hey, no, it's, whatever, well, whatever. It's, well, it's well, be a row over that. The government will win, um, but it just shows you if you've got an eighty um, eighty majority, it doesn't mean an awful lot when it comes down to it. Margaret Thatcher, when she was defeated in the leadership, had a majority of one hundred and two. Mm. That should be something that Boris should be very very careful. Of. Don't take your majority. To, for granted, because they will turn on you if the opinion po polls go sour, and they could do it any minute. Well, that's absolutely true. But the other interesting thing for me is is talking to Tory MPs uh, at the moment. Uh, right, very soon after the, the first sort of session of Parliament started, there was a, there was the vote on leaving the European Union. The actual Brexit withdrawal bill was voted on, um, and I think it was Marc Francois I was talking to, and he said, "Yeah, it was a very weird feeling because we all came back and sat down after voting, um, and somebody said." Um, well, we should win that one. Uh, and somebody went, yeah, we probably will. And then what about this other vote? And they were talking about it. And then, they, and then somebody actually sort of a light went off in their head and they went, actually, we're going to win all of them because we've got an 80-seat exactly. majority. And they haven't exactly. had that for such a long time that yeah. they've forgotten what it's like. Yeah. But the other thing is it means that people will be more likely to rebel because they don't think they can harm the government. And that's what can happen. I I actually de nearly defeated the government on, a, on, on an issue, my own government, in 1990. Six, I think, 1986. Right. Uh, when the majority was 140, and I reduced the majority to four on a on a, on a matter of conscience. Mm, so you never know. Those were the days when you had a conscience. <laughs> I should have got one now. Yeah, now, let me ask you one final question. On, your, your learned friend, uh, Mr Jolien Maugham, oh. uh, has been let off the hook by the RSPCA, uh, who have apparently said, and after 59 or 60 days of investigating an, uh, an attack on a fox, which he admitted to, um, they basically said that it wasn't cruel enough for him to be prosecuted. Well, I mean, I don't know much about the law when it comes to foxes and beating them to death, but it does seem a bit unfair on the fox. Well, well I, the answer is, I always make a point... I've never commented on cases that I haven't read the papers on. I don't believe the Daily Mail law reports are something we should have a look at. It's nothing so to do with the Daily Mail. I don't Mail. know the answer. I really don't know the answer. It's nothing to do with the Daily Mail. The, the reasoning that the RSPCA have given out is that it's only um, prosecutable as an offence if it, it's not actually illegal to undue kill a fox. Undue cruelty, I think, to an animal. If it's undue cruelty. But he beat it to death with a baseball bat. 
Well, we, we, we don't know. It doesn't sound very very nice to me. We, well, no, 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 no. But uh, did you hear the cop fox complaint? Of course not. Anyway. No, no, it was dead. But anyway, listen, Jerry. Uh, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Jerry Hayes, former Tory MP, uh, a man who, like me, is aware that there are certain drawbacks of being an MP, uh, but also uh, there are some very good things about being an MP. My question to you is, what has your MP done for you lately? Because at the end of the day, that's why they give themselves such a big pay rise. They're supposed to be working not only for you, uh, but uh, they're supposed to be working for the good of the country. They're supposed to be working for the constituents who didn't even vote for them as well. So we want your stories this morning. This is not about bashing the MPs, but they're now making an awful lot of money, nearly £82,000 a year, plus an awful lot of expenses. Uh, some people think there's too many of them. If you are a bad MP, I think somehow we should have a system in place where we can cut their pay until they do the right thing. I quite like Jerry Hayes' idea uh, that they should get the same money and the same pay rises as the rest of the public sector. But as he quite rightly said, almost everybody else in the public sector has seen their pay reduce over the period of time that he was looking at it. And theirs has gone up by 20%. Stuart Jackson uh, texted in to say that he got £17,000 redundancy after 12 years, not 30000 uh, He says they cut it in half in 2015. Um, so basically, uh, the amounts of money out there for MPs when they lose or when they get kicked out for one reason or another are perhaps are not as high as they were. But still, £17,000 redundancy is not bad. A lot of people would love to get a £17,000 redundancy package, but uh, let's talk about that as well. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Don't forget, coming up in the next hour, we've got the Perrier Awards, of course, because uh, it is Friday. Uh, it is the first Friday in March. Beware the Ides of March, they always say. Uh, we'll be talking about Amber Rudd being deplatformed uh, from Oxford University yesterday. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Amber is not going to talk to us about it. However, we are going to be talking about why this is happening more and more uh, in academia and in lots of other areas of life as well. Right now, though, let's talk about a very unusual story on the front page of some of the papers this morning. Front page is a daily mail, no less. Uh, the scandal of princess abducted from the United Kingdom. This has been a very high-profile court case which has been going on uh, for the last few weeks and months, really, uh, in British courts. And the ruler of Dubai, uh, who is a friend of the Queen, it is said, a close UK ally, uh, ordered his henchmen to abduct Princess Shamza from Cambridge in the year 2000. Now, according to the court documents and stuff that came out yesterday, Sheikh Mohammed Al Maktoum, one of the world's richest men and a, a guy who's very well known to those of you who follow horse racing because he'll be um, uh, at all the big horse racing meetings because the Maktoums are massively into horse racing. Uh, this is a guy, however, um, who uses top lawyers uh, in this country, top QCs. I think, in fact, Lord Panic, uh, our good friend from the prorogation scenario, was actually representing him. Um, it is said that the Tony Blair government was complicit in helping the kidnappers to get this young woman out of Cambridge and back into Dubai. Let's talk to Bobby Friedman, who is a barrister, of course, and a, a commentator as well. Bobby, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. This is quite an extraordinary tale, isn't it? I mean, it's like something out of a, of a sort of Robert Ludlam spy novel. Yes, it really is. And I think for those of us who've been tempted to go and get some uh, sun in Dubai, if, well, if coronavirus hasn't put you <laughs> off, you might think, uh, might think twice about it now when you know that the ruler of Dubai is responsible for kidnapping, imprisonment and torture of his own daughter, no less, to find that, uh, that people loyal to him uh, ended up putting a gun on, on his wife's uh, bedside pillow. Very nice of him. Yes. Um, but it is a, you know, an, an utterly extraordinary story. And uh, it, it, it's, I, mean, I think it really says something, the fact that a British court ha 
has been in a position to to actually put this out and has done so without fear or favour. And, and I think that that marks a very uh, stark contrast between our, our justice system yes. and the way in which people act in Dubai. Well, we certainly know and, and we see, uh, unfortunately, for, for several British individuals over the course of any given year, um, you know, people getting locked up without a trial, people getting, you know, sort of rescued by, by international uh, diplomacy sometimes because it's the only way to get them out of jails in, in that part of the country. But, but how did this story end up in, in, a, in a court in London? Well, the, the reason was that uh, the, the, the princess, the ex-wife of Sheikh Mohammed, uh, fled to London with her, with her two children. So ultimately, the jurisdiction, uh, the place where you decide this is, is where they are mm. at the moment. So it's for the British court, the English court to decide. Uh, and so that is why the, the, the Sheikh has had to engage with these proceedings, because even though he's in Dubai and uh, if it came to try to prosecute him, he would obviously claim diplomatic immunity and so on. Uh, he ultimately doesn't really have a choice if he wants to have any contact with his kids, which he seems to want to do. Mm. Not quite sure why, given that he seems to want to lock up some of his, uh, of his other children. But anyway, assuming he does want to have contact with them, the only choice he had was to come here to, to, uh, to, well, to send his lawyers to court in England to actually engage with that process. Mm. It is an interesting sort of lineup of, of legal advisers as well, isn't it? Because, as I say, Lord Panic, I think, was leading uh, his team. Uh, and Lady Shackleton, I think, was on the other side uh, uh, of, of the argument. You know, both incredibly high-profile barristers and QCs. There was a, a completely stellar cast of, of barristers and solicitors on, on, on both sides. The amount of money that would have been spent on this would have been utterly extraordinary. I think they had, uh, you know, five, something like five QCs on... Uh, on one side and four or five on the other, which is not what you need in, an, in a normal case. Let me tell you. So, so it will have been money, no object, of course, if they want to do it to, to fight over this. But this is, the stakes are incredibly high because not only are they fighting over their children, but of course, uh, what Sheikh Mohammed tried to do is he tried to keep this all in secret. Mm. So uh, Lord Panic for him was arguing that, um, that the judgment should not be made public. And uh, of course, if that hadn't happened, uh, we would not have known um, that, there, that all of this had occurred. We wouldn't know about the kidnapping and, and, and abduction and about the international human rights abuses. So that is, what, that is one of the reasons why the court made this judgment public, so that uh, people would, would be able to, to know, in fact, what, what Sheikh Mohammed has been up to. Yes. I mean, he's also been sending commandos around uh, the world to seemingly kidnap whoever he feels like kidnapping at any given time. So, I mean, it's not inconceivable that, that, that ordinary civilians could have been injured or, or even hurt and killed in these kind of escapades? Well, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the potential consequences could have been very serious. Because that one kidnapping was at sea. Another one, from, of course, took place here in England. Yeah. So, uh, that, and that, of course, would be a criminal offence. And so, uh, so very serious uh, things that have taken place. But, of course, it, makes you, it does make you think. Uh, as, I, as I said at the beginning, there are lots of people, tens of thousands of people from the UK go on holiday to Dubai all the time. Treat it pretty much as, well, we're Western, we can do whatever we like when we're out there and we'll be fine. But, of course, it does show you what this, the person who is ruling that Emirates, uh, what he will do to his own family. And I think that gives a, a sense 
of how confident you can be mm. that you would that you, you would in fact get a fair trial if if someone takes offence to something that you've done, uh, or if you're found with a bottle of beer in your hand on the street in Dubai. Yes, exactly right. And the inference that uh, that Tony Blair's Foreign Office was involved in the personage of of Robin Cook is a bit of a surprise because this was in the midst of their kind of ethical foreign policy period, where supposedly you know they weren't going to be cooperating with what you might recall as despotic governments, but but it seems that they actually kind of were in some way complicit here. Yes, of course, Robin Cook, ironically, uh, resigned two years later over the Iraq war, but seen as on foreign policy a man of great principle. Yeah. Now, what the court didn't do, the court didn't find that the, that the criminal investigation had in fact been kiboshed. What the court found was that uh, there was a criminal investigation, then the investigating officer wanted to go to Dubai to interview a witness about the abduction of, of one of the, uh, of, the, of the sheikh's daughters in England, and then he was refused permission. And then we know that there are some documents that the Foreign Office holds, but funnily enough, it doesn't want to release them. So we don't know what, so we don't know what they say. So we don't know 100% that this is what in fact happened, but I don't think it takes a great leap of imagination to think that the Foreign Office did something at the time, they've got some documents, and they don't want, want the public to know what's in them, uh, and that's probably because uh, they did in fact get involved in that investigation, which, is, if that is true, is pretty shocking, because I think that gives a sense of uh, how sometimes diplomatic uh, relations can trump what is right, because, because this was a, uh, a young woman who was kidnapped abducted from this country and somehow you would just kibosh that that criminal investigation for the sake of diplomatic relations yes is pretty extraordinary it really is and the sheikh himself has basically called this a one-sided um, kind of judgment that it only tells one side of the story that his family cannot now be protected in the same way that other families could be i mean what happens now does anything happen i mean he's not facing charges of any kind is he no, and the, the reality is that, that there, there couldn't be against him. They could, they, could, they could potentially be charges against other people who were complicit with it, who wouldn't necessarily have diplomatic immunity. Mm. Uh, but, of course, the reality is that would be di difficult. What, what would happen next is there's going to be a judgment as to what, what should, in fact, happen to the, uh, to the children. And I think it would take a, a great deal of imagination to work out that the judge isn't going to be particularly favourable to uh, Sheikh Mohammed, given what, what he's found that, he, that he's done. But, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, he'll get away with, with, with impunity. But, I, but I, I think there is that more important diplomatic point that should arise from this. And, of course, the UK and Dubai uh, and the UAE generally have have very close mm. relations. And in the same way as uh, people point to our relations with Saudi Arabia, for example, and say that we, we uh, shouldn't be having those relations in, in that way, then again, you have to say, it, while uh, the British court has found that Sheikh Mohammed is currently keeping, still is keeping two of his daughters captive, uh, abducted, uh, has abducted them, how, how can we possibly have normal diplomatic relations with this man? Well, quite. And I, I, you wonder as well whether he might be the kind of person that wants to have some kind of uh, retaliatory strike in some way and whether he'll kind of be in a bad mood with Britain for a while and he might do something which would harm um, not only British interests or British diplomats or, or just British commerce in some way. Well, I, th I think he might. I mean, obviously, we, we are stronger than Dubai, so I think they, they need us more than we need them. So that's why I think this should be an opportunity. Uh, for, for us to, to actually try and get him to, to change his behaviour. But I, what I would say, and it's, it's a point that obviously I know we, we've talked about previously in terms of criticism of, ju of judges, uh, and I know a lot of your listeners have incredibly strong opinions about this, but what I would say, I think this is one good example where 
you look at what politicians seem to have done at the time, which is, is not the right thing. And you, you have a judge who says it, it doesn't matter how powerful this man is. It doesn't matter how rich he is. Mm. Uh, I am going to, to put these findings in public and I am go- I'm going to, to make those findings against this incredibly powerful person. He's done that without fear or favour. So, so I think this is a, a, the kind of day where we should be very pleased about the kind of legal system we have, which is independent and is fair and, mm. and is not afraid to make findings against powerful people of this sort. No, quite. Bobby, thanks very much indeed. Bobby Friedman, there, barrister uh, and political commentator, of course, as well. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Amber Rudd has been pretty uh, vocal on Twitter about what happened. She's been very disappointed. She said uh, that she thinks it's an absolutely outrageous and rude thing to do. Her own daughter has also been on Twitter using slightly stronger words about it. Uh, But it does seem ludicrous, does it not, that in this day and age in which we live, uh, if you are a politician in any way on the right side uh, of the uh, political divide, that your voice cannot be heard at a place uh, called the Oxford Student, UN Women. Now, I'm reading a piece by the UN Women uh, who actually have asterisked out the uh, vowel which comes between the M and the N because they don't like the fact that it actually sounds like man or men. So uh, they say, we are deeply sorry for all and any hurt caused to our members and other women, asterisked, uh, and non-binary people in Oxford. What about the men? Well, did they not invite any of them? Let's talk to Emily Carver, uh, who's from the Institute of Economic Affairs. Emily, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. So, the world is still bonkers then, it would seem. Uh, yes, it would seem, you know, and this is not the first this week that's happened in Oxford Union. Really? We had Professor Selina Todd just a few days ago, a feminist, an expert on working-class women. She was deplatformed too for her views on the transgender debate. Right. Apparently she was a transphobe. So this is the second in just a week that uh, feminists 
um, at, the, at Oxford University have chosen to deplatform women in this way. And it's sort of, you know, you have to be the sort of right woman for these kind of, um, for this minority, um, this, this minority of students who can't seem to accept diversity of opinion. Yeah, and presumably and, you can be the right kind of woman by not even being a woman, can you? <laughs> well, exactly. It's also quite ironic, really. I mean, as Amber tweeted herself, uh, this was an event that was meant to encourage young women into politics, um, but what did it prove? That you're right. not allowed to think outside the box, or you risk being deplatformed, you know, yeah. risk being cancelled. I mean, I assume you've been in higher education much more recently than I have. Um, what was it like when you were in it? Was it as bad as this? Do you know what? I don't think it was as bad. I think it's definitely accelerated in recent years. I think that um, there's always been a sort of left-wing bias, but I think the uh, tutors and the professors are also um, are also sort of um, working as social activists, political mm. activists, rather than teachers. And, you know, Policy Exchange, one of the other think tanks, did a report recently, and it found that, you know, um, that for, you, nearly half of students... Um, think that, you know, ensuring the dignity of minorities is more important than free expression. They endorse safe spaces. They favour sort of trigger warnings. And also, you know, want outright bans on people from UKIP or other parties that they don't approve of, of even attending university. And if we look back, you know, it's not just conservatives who are being deplatformed. You also have, you know, the case of Jermaine Greer. You had Peter Hitchens, whose invitation yeah. to speak at Portsmouth University was rescinded. Uh, you have Jacob Rees-Mogg as well. My alma mater, Bristol Uni, backed proposals to uh, to uh, ban all turf speakers. So that's trans-exclusionary radical feminists from campus altogether. Mm. And these are people who are just, you know, concerned over the sort of self-identification issue, which right. I think is... Fair enough. So it's all gone a bit mad, I think. And it has. Well, even just that that phrase or that that that, that description, turf, is not something that I don't remember. I don't remember hearing that before last year, really. No, I don't remember that at all. I mean, for me, what I experienced at university was more sort of overall left wing bias in seminars. You know, studying Marxism over free markets, that sort of thing. But yeah. it seems to be that now you have a sort of minority of students who are really you know, running the roost and dictating what the rest of the student body should be able to listen to. Right. And I think, you know, they talk about privilege and they talk about, um, they talk in their statement about how they have privilege and they need to bear in mind the views of ethnic minorities and other non-binary people and things. But do they not realise that they have so much privilege just being there at Oxford University, having the opportunity to listen to a former Home Secretary. You know, this is a privilege and they're just throwing it away. Exactly right. And the Free Speech Union, Toby Young's uh, new outfit, has put out mm. a tweet that said, last month Gavin Williamson gave UK universities a final warning if they didn't take action to uphold free speech, uh, the government would. Um, and it then goes on to say that, that this is clearly a breach of Oxford Union's own policy on free speech, as drafted by Timothy Garton-Ash and Ken MacDonald as well as the EHRC's guidance on free speech at universities. So, I mean, there is probably a way of making them stop doing this, isn't there? I think definitely the government should be encouraging um, this freedom of expression to be upheld in universities. I mean, it's getting ridiculous. I was heartened when I saw in the Conservative manifesto that they did mention this, the importance of free speech on campus, because I think it's just not fair to students. You know, students should be able to challenge ideas. And I think there is a lack of that. I mean, I recently took part in a panel at Essex University. Mm. And um, it was fantastic because there were, I mean, I was the only sort of non-left-wing person on the panel of four. 
but it was good that there was that diversity of opinion represented. Yeah. But they told me that nearly all of their previous panels, they'd all been in violent agreement. And so would... they'd all been left-wing. And right. this is just not good for discussion. And also, looking to the future, how does this bode for the future? I mean, these are the future civil servants, academics, lawyers. If they can't even handle a talk by Amber Rudd, we've got real problems ahead, you know? We shouldn't <laughs> be indulging this groupthink. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, how did you find being on that panel? Because, I mean, I've been in places as well where um, clearly they've never actually listened to anybody mm. else with a different opinion. And they're sort of looking at you like you're from another planet. I know, it's so funny. And the thing is, is that we're so used to hearing their arguments. Yeah. We hear them every day, you know, it's sort of round down your throat, the sort of left-wing, left-wing arguments. And then when they meet you... Um, you're sort of like a specimen in the zoo. It's quite funny. They're sort of asking you questions like they've never heard the case made for capitalism or the case made for, uh, uh, for whatever issue it is. It's quite extraordinary, really. It really but is. I think, I think that professors need to... I mean, it doesn't matter what political views professors have, but they should be being far more objective. If you look at professors now, they're all over social media, mm. and that's their freedom to do so, but they're pushing these very, very narrow left-wing... Um, left-wing views quite a lot and I think that it's damaging for that rapport between students um, because not all students are left-wing and not all students buy into this sort of this anti-free speech um, agenda. No, but if you are one of those students who's not very comfortable with this new kind of radical feminism and this new lefty approach to absolutely everything, including, I'm presuming, at Cambridge, the, uh, the sort of encouragement of Extinction Rebellion to dig up the lawn and to go and mm. deposit it in a bank in, in town. You know, it's, it's, it's almost a kind of secondary form of society that's been created because what we've been told over the whole course of the last week or so with Pretty Patel and the civil service is that a lot of these people end up in the civil service. And so they've kind of moved seamlessly from school through higher education into, um, you know, public sector work. And they've never had to change their view on anything. Well, that's the thing. And also, you know, I've worked in the private sector as well. And it's very much there as well. There's a sort of group think over things like the gender pay gap, um, racial pay gaps, also around um, things like the diversity agenda. And there's no, there's no room for difference of opinion, really, because why would you bother sticking your hand up um, if people are then going to sort of shout you down or be shocked by your views? And the problem is, is that people then end up self-censoring. And I think that's what a lot of students who aren't confident enough to sort of speak out or who just can't be bothered to speak out, what they do is they just keep quiet and they just self-censor and they just go on. But I think this sort of tyranny of minority is really bad and I think it's really, really awful for our academic... Yeah. And um, also, I mean, given that it's the in-word to use at the moment, I mean, it's kind of a bullying way of running a university, isn't it? I think it is. I think that universities really, really need to make more of an effort to allow um, diversity of opinion and to encourage it. I think that professors should be open to hearing different views and actively encourage it. I think that's what universities should be about. And I think, obviously, this is coming from the student union. This is coming from the students themselves. And I think they need to be challenged by... Um, not. We need to encourage students themselves to challenge these narratives, but also encourage professors to make sure 
that they stand up for free speech and don't allow these deplatformings to happen. And this happened, what, within an hour of the event? Yeah, well, I mean, it was half an hour before it was due to start. Level. How rude is that? Well, exactly. I mean, Amber Rudd's own daughter, who was using slightly more industrial language than her mother, uh, basically said it was incredibly rude because she'd agreed to go and do this thing um, free of charge. Uh, she'd travelled all the way to Oxford. Now, you and I both know we were asked to do things like this all the time, and it's a pain in the neck uh, if mm. you have to go out of, out of town to do it and to not even be paid for it, you know, doing them a massive favour uh, and they basically just say thanks but no thanks. I know, it's pretty outrageous. But going back to the sort of wider free speech on campus point, I mean, you know, we had it during the Brexit debate. Students who were pro-Brexit were very much silenced and what happens is that they end up sort of forming their own little niche groups outside of the mainstream of the university, um, joining the free speech unions where they, they, where they free a feel able to speak freely, but they should feel free to speak freely, whether they're in a seminar, whether they're in a lecture, whether they're in a student um, society meeting. Um, we really need to open up the debate. Yes, I think so. And it is International Women's Day on uh, on Sunday. Um, somebody asked me today, how do you feel about that? I don't. I, I think it's fine. I don't have a problem with an International Women's Day. I think it should be celebrated, but, you know, it shouldn't be hijacked either by these nutters. No, exactly. There's so many there's so many conversations to be had about women's rights around the world, still in this country. But again, as you say, it is often hijacked by people who deem themselves to be progressive, but in the end they are actually the ones with the aggressive views. They are the fascists in their own words. They're the ones who want to restrict speech and want to deem what a woman should be and what they shouldn't be. And I think that International Women's Day should be a time to celebrate women of all backgrounds. Yeah. Women with all different views, conservative women, left-wing women, women with no views at all on politics. You know, this should be a positive movement and also shouldn't demonise men. Yeah, and I think also women should not be oppressing other women. You know, it doesn't seem to be the reason why feminism was invented. No, I think there are lots of narratives around victimhood going around and I think that we should be... You know, it's, it sounds cliche, but sort of lifting each other up and being each other's supporters and working with men and being friends with men and being comfortable around each other and moving forward in that respect and not demonizing women who, for example, have um, concerns about the transgender debate um, and working together to... Um, yeah, to have a more constructive way of talking to each other, I think. Yes, I think you're absolutely right, Emily. Thanks very much indeed. Emily Carver there uh, from the Institute of Economic Affairs talking a great deal of sense because, of course, that's what we like here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It is uh, International Women's Day uh, on Sunday. Uh, you may or may not wish to uh, celebrate that. Uh, I'll probably be celebrating it. My daughter will be visiting me, so I might as well celebrate it with her. Another excuse to open a bottle of champagne as far as I'm concerned. Coming up next, uh, we'll take some of your calls and then we've got the Perrier Awards coming up as well. I've already had uh, a message from Pete saying it's Friday uh, why is a con even in to do the Perry Awards but you know he is here he is going to do them uh, this is Talk Radio Mid-morning with Mike Graham Talk Radio the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio it's Friday it is 12.33 and it's time for this Ladies and gentlemen welcome to the Perry Awards realise this is now the only music we play on this show. What is going yeah. on? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's a licensing issue. Licensing it? issue. And what I can tell you, Con Mendes is here, of course, to present the Perrier Awards. Um, 
It's not the first award ceremonies we've been to this week. No, we've uh, it's, I was at it's the, awards season. It's been isn't award it? season for us. I was at the Kebab Awards on uh, Tuesday night, I think it was. Wednesday, you were at the, the radio, uh, radio Arias. 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 Arias, yeah. yeah. And we didn't win any. No, but Ian Lee did. He did. The best moment. Have we got him in the so. Perriers just for old time's sake? Uh, we don't, no, no, I'm afraid. That's a shame. No, sorry. Never mind. Sorry, Ian. Well done, though. I thought he might put his speech in. His speech. It was a good speech. Is it? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, should we begin? Let's go. Yeah, welcome to the Perry Awards. Thank you. This is where we go back over the past week of the so-called Independent Republic so-called. of Mike Graham and yes. choose our favourite moments. Mm. Yes, it's time to don our silk kimonos and put the week out of its misery by clubbing it round the head <laughs> with the award ceremonies Excellent. that, Mike, you can always rely on. Yes. Never mind the Arias. Let's get on with the Perriers. Yes. As is tradition, mm. Mike, you're up first. Excellent. You win the Perrier for Malfunctioning Presenter of the Week. Yes. Yes, there's people who are getting separate, or who, are, who have become separated. Who are at? Do you even realise when you do stuff like I that? I do. Oh, but okay. I mean, there's no point in stopping, is <laughs> yeah. there? Because you just have to... I mean, there are times, actually, when, when you, you get into one of them, you can't get out. Yeah, it's true as well. Uh, uh, our second award is, again, you, Mike, and, again, the exact same thing. Really? You're listening to me and watching me right here on the uh, most effective and most fast-growing uh, radio station in the entire world. Uh, I quite like that. Talk I think we should do that every time. <laughs> He's like write, a robot. I'll write that down. I'll write that down. Um, uh, now, in this Why worrying... are you going to do... I mean, you only got to do this once a week, right? Yeah, and you're now doing what you're accusing me of doing. No, I'm it, just thinking. Uh, taking, taking, uh, taking a uh, moment. breaking <laughs> in this time of worrying yes. uh, times regarding uh, the coronavirus, ah, yes. uh, caller Alan in Derbyshire rang in to say he was feeling a little peaky. Uh, fortunately, he was able to win recovery of the week. Well, listen, I hope you feel better, Alan, um, and I hope you, you, you uh, get yourself checked out if there's anything seriously wrong with you. Yeah, no, I, it was funny because as I was listening to you, I got this dry cough, but then I've just remembered that I've had some peppery crisps. So I think that's probably what the score Well, that's all right then. <laughs> just remembered. So it wasn't coronavirus, no. it, was, it was crisps. It's easy to forget when you've eaten peppery crisps yes, as well. Yes, yeah, you know. uh, Now, presenter of the week. Mm. Uh, now, normally, when a press conference is running late, uh, it's difficult to judge, Mike, when to throw to a certain prime minister as he starts talking. Fortunately, though, we had a professional broadcaster across it. Excellent. And that was Malcolm in Oxford. <laughs> yes, you start an investigation, but you do not suspend those officers from their duties. If they're found guilty of anything, then you look at the, the, what happens. Well, and exactly. here comes Boris. But that's the point. Well, you've talked us very nicely up to it, Malcolm. Thank you very much. By the way, and I'm very glad. I thought he did that very well. But uh, also, another question arises about that particular clip: Was somebody machine gunning the neighbours in the background? (laughs) That's what it sounded like. The uh, Paps, wasn't it? Oh, the Paps. Yes, Paps. That's right. Yes. Uh, Now, a highlight from another show: Mm. Mark Dolan stood in for Matthew Wright earlier on in the week and was joined by the show's in-house GP, Dr. Ellie Cannon. Now, this is good. It's safe to say uh, they had a bit of a falling out uh, about whether Mark's no-carb diet was healthy or not. Uh, It led to Dr Cannon winning the cattiest comment of the week. And all I really did is predominantly I gave up sugar and I gave up, you know, bread and pasta and things like that. I carried on with huge amounts of vegetables and meat and fish and all of that stuff. Anyway, within about three months, I'd lost two stone, Mm. felt huge amounts of energy and... I would never go back. 
And that is a wonderful anecdote, Mark, and I'm so happy that you told us all. <laughs> I don't think she, she approves. She was not happy. No. no, no. Also, how the hell does he lose two stone? I mean, he doesn't look as if he could afford to lose one stone. Well, I think this well, this was before that, wasn't oh, it? Right. So, uh, okay. when he weighed three stone. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> um, Soaking wet. <laughs> yeah. uh, caller Graham mm. in Peterborough now wins the Perrier for Skeptic of the Week. Yes, you've got Milton Keynes, Telford. Uh, there was a place up in Scotland. Right, but East Kilbride? Uh... <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it was East Kilbride. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, OK, I'll take your word for it. Thank you. Yeah, it actually was East Kilbride. <laughs> well, I was trying well, not to be too well, rude. Well, if that's your opinion, well, if that's anyway, what, you, if like that's what see, you've read I'd on like corners the, of the internet, I'd, Mike. I'd, well, uh... I'd like to see the equations <laughs> and the work done behind that result. Uh, uh, back to you, Mike. Mm. Uh, you're boasting about the British Kebab Awards. Won you the needless tit bit of the week. Pardon? Charlotte Ivers is going to be here. Boris Johnson's going to be up, as is Jeremy Corbyn, who I saw last night. This is Talk Radio. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares. It's, it's true. Yeah. I did see him that in the previous night. You know, it was really weird. What? Um, he came into the room like some kind of uh, messiah. And you shook know? your hand? Did he shake no, your hand? He I, didn't, he didn't he, come and find you? He, he didn't come and find me. He came right down the middle and I was off to the side. Oh, right. Um, but he was a, surrounded by these kind of acolytes and people who really obviously liked him a lot were mm. filming it all. Really? As if it was, they were in the presence of some kind of... Well, you know, it's probably star. his last Kebab Awards, isn't it? It will be, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's true. Uh, <laughs> Siobhan Freegard now, uh, the founder of Net Mums. Oh, yeah. Not to be confused with Mums Net. Yeah, why is there two organisations? Why can't know. they just, you know, well, do away with their differences yeah, it's and very join much hands? The people's front of Judea of yeah, the Mums world. But anyway, uh, that is one way to introduce her, founder of Mums Net. But that wouldn't have won her title of the week. And right now, though, uh, we're going to speak to Siobhan Freegard, who is a mumpreneur, uh, because she's going to tell us about uh, the nightmare of driving children around in a car uh, and seemingly getting constantly asked the question, are we there yet? Siobhan, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Hi, good morning. Now, I'm not sure about this mumpreneur No, word. Uh, neither sounds, am I. It sounds <laughs> who very, made that up? <laughs> sounds very kind of uh, sexist to me. Who not, made that up? All I'm, it, all I'm it is. written down here in front of me. <laughs> yeah, it was on the press release. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't us. It was her people. It so, was her people, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, you know, you can't get the staff these days. No, no. back to you, Mike. Mm. Uh, you win Confession of the Week. Yes. It's absolutely infuriating. In fact, I mean, I just don't know why I ever had any children, really, now that I've finished talking to you. Well, I, I know. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have asked me that question. Why did you bother having them? <laughs> uh, to the breakfast show now. Mm. This is good. Technical difficulty of yes. the week. Julia, this morning's show was supposed to use... Uh, explain quickly what the talkback yeah, button is Yeah, we have a little like. button which, if you press it, basically means that you can talk to the control room, um, but it doesn't go out on air. Yes. And, for example, I can say, could you please bring me another a glass of whiskey? Or yes, something exactly. Like that. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly Although what I've never used it for, for that. No, no, I hasten to add. Because obviously I don't drink on there. That would be against the rules. Yes. Uh, well, Julia was supposed to use the talkback button uh, to give her production a little note, uh, her production team a little note. Oh, yes. uh, unfortunately, there was an issue with the button ah. where if you don't press it, it doesn't work. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, leading to this going out this morning. <laughs> Bin doctors say that politics is mo uh, the, the, the thick of it. Who the hell's turned the, um, the, the heat? Um, thank and, you. Uh, oh, Matt, sorry, I'm going to have to leave it there, Matt Chorley, uh, editor of the Times Red Book. Who the hell's turned up the heat? Well, who oh, the hell has turned up I the don't heat? Know. Uh, Can we have an answer, please? Yeah, I don't know, yeah, we'll mm. find out on next Monday's show, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, now, yesterday, Mary and Hamstead wins the barrier for Critic of the Week. Yes. You said you're fed up with hearing about Meghan and Harry and here you are rabbiting on about them. Well, that's because they're back. 
I don't care. What it's do you mean, don't care? They're I back. Have no photographers <laughs> turn up for them when they're there. But yeah, but I, they will, won't they? I know, but I'm... Don't you want me to... Don't you want me to do the voice? Come on, Mary, you must want me to... I don't want you to even mention them. <laughs> and then she went on about them for another, about another five minutes. Really? Oh, well, By the way, Mary in our now, that I've, now that I've gone over to the other side and said I thought they looked magnificent last night, you know, yes. I think I, I think I, we can draw a line over it now or yeah, under it. And never mention them again? And never mention them again. Okay, well, that's it. I there you go, Mary. You have your wish. We will never mention them again. There we are. Uh, David Wooding from The Sun on Sunday loves a bit of music, him. He wins the Perrier for Singer of the Week. Mm. I mean, if you do Jesus uh, Joy of Man's Desiring by Bach, that takes about 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, I recognise it after he sang it. Yeah, it was the Perry Awards. I've never known what it was called, though. Isn't it? Yes, that's it. Yeah, I think so, anyway. And finally, whilst we're on a musical theme, roaming reporter Ollie Cole was yesterday out in the shops to report on panic buying. This is my favourite. The truth is, actually, that he just had to pick up a few things. Yeah. So we sent him Some rubber gloves. Yeah. He wins the Report of the Week. It's Ollie Cole interviewing a shop owner and foreigner. After that, they said, don't call us. If I had a thousand, two thousand bottles of sanitizers <laughs> without advertising, I would have sold them because if one buys, goes and tells five, they all run it. Just now... It's a great song, mind you. <laughs> I mean, is. if you're interviewing anyone in a pharmacy about coronavirus, I would always suggest a foreigner backing track. Yeah. Wouldn't you? It just makes sense. <laughs> Well, that's it for the Perrier Awards. Yeah. There will be more next week. Great. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. <laughs> Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.